Today on CityCast Denver. I hesitate to say it, but the pandemic seems to be slowly, possibly, hopefully, maybe fading away. And still, people are not going back downtown. Could we be witnessing the dawn of a new dark age for the 16th Street Mall? The business community has got a curious new plan to lure people back, but the real fix, of course, would be a Denver Olympics. Yeah, that's right, you heard me. We've been watching the Beijing games all week, and Patty and Bree are on the show today to help me connect all the dots. Today is Friday, February 11th, 2022. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city where... Oh my god, oh my god, what? It, how old am I? Excuse me. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That's alright, that's alright. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city where even the elephants are getting into yoga. I saw a post on the Denver subreddit this morning. Pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Very flexible creatures, apparently. <laughs> Um, and we are back. It's Friday, so we're uh, we're taking a little bit more time. We're digging into the news a little deeper, having a little fun with it. We're in the Lindy Zimmer Studios at Westward Downtown, as usual. Um, and I'm joined by our regular host, Bree Davies. Hi, Paul. And Westward's founder and editor, Patty Calhoun. Thanks for having me back. Uh, so our first topic today, uh, the 16th Street Mall, because... Pandemic precautions are lifting, but people are not going back downtown, at least not at the same levels as they were before this whole thing started. And that has led to uh, at least one interesting new effort to revitalize the area, reactivate things. Um, The city and the Downtown Denver Partnership announced this week uh, a new pop-up retail program. I've never heard of anything like this before, so I'll do my best to describe it. It's like they're, they have $100,000 and they're going to pick five people with ideas for retail businesses and they're going to use that money to help people get set up and try out their idea for a limited amount of time uh, in what was once a Krispy Kreme or a Starbucks, <laughs> rent-free. Um so, Patty, what do you think? I mean, you've seen cycles uh, with the 16th Street Mall. Things get busy. Things get less busy. What do you think about this program? Well, it's not that groundbreaking because back when hmm. the DNC came to town and the mall was not unlike what it is like today, a lot of souvenir shops mostly, hmm. Denver pavilions, there were empty storefronts. And there was a whole move afoot to activate those Denver storefronts with artists specifically, which would have been great then and would be great now. That was back in 2008. So hmm. it's not a new idea. And empty storefronts on the mall are not new. What is new is that downtown workers are not downtown working. Many yeah. of them are still working remotely. The percentage is huge of people who have not come back to their offices downtown. That makes it difficult for the restaurants that aren't open at lunch. That makes it difficult for the shops that are there. And to activate it, it makes sense to bring in some cool, interesting businesses that might attract people who wouldn't be downtown otherwise, not because they're working remotely, but just because there are other places to go. Yeah. 
Yeah. Bree, what do you think? <laughs> the 16th Street Mall, reactivating it. I feel like every time I hear anyone talk about the 16th Street Mall, someone is saying, we got to reactivate it. What, what do you make of this? Well, I think it's a bad sign, first of all. Uh, like Patty's saying, people aren't coming back to downtown. Where else in the city do you need to give people free real estate? <laughs> like, yeah. That is in direct opposition to pretty much every other part of the city where uh, businesses are being pushed out because their leases are up and things are going through the roof. They can't afford it. I mean, we're watching it on South Broadway. I mean, we're seeing longtime businesses close because they can't afford to operate in those spaces anymore. So the fact that real estate is essentially up for grabs on the 16th Street Mall says a lot to me about the value that people place on that space which is not much yeah that's interesting that's an interesting point i didn't think about i mean we have seen a lot of businesses close in the last couple of years i'm thinking about let's i mean the diners that we talk about all the time the denver diner the breakfast king feels like there should be some connection made there between the downtown denver partnership wanting to facilitate business development and activity downtown and these beloved businesses that haven't been able to continue in the way that they were i don't know Patty, tell me more about these these past efforts and like why is reactivation of the 16th Street Mall like such a consistent drumbeat here? Well, it used to be one of the top, if not the top tourist attractions back when there were conventions, of course, mm-hmm. coming to town. So you want it to look good for the people coming in from the outside. You really want it to be good for the people who live here because you like having a downtown. You like having all these close-in neighborhoods, which is really unusual in the western town. Like uh, to like Denver has so many close-in great neighborhoods, which isn't the case in a lot of other sprawling western towns. So that's great, but you want things downtown. One effort the partnership had talked about just before the pandemic, which would have been great, would be putting live music into local restaurants or places that didn't have it but had some room. So imagine what would have happened if Thursday night you knew to go down to the 16th Street Mall and hear live music. That's a little tougher during the pandemic because of social distancing and masking, but that is an effort you'd like to see come back. Mm. There's an empty mall, uh, empty space that used to be Fontius, I think. Anyway, that now is set up to be an outside arena for concerts and things like that. We'll see if that comes back in the summer. But look at what we need, places for musicians to perform, places for artists to sell their, their goods, the things they create. If that is the 16th Street Mall, that's a greater good for everybody. Another thing that's interesting about this program is the timing, because these are going to be three-month residencies for these retail pop-ups and it's going to start like spring or summer which i checked this morning is the exact same projected start time for the beginning of construction of the redevelopment of the 16th street mall that they've been talking about for a long time which is this 150 million dollar project and that seems like again like two conflicting forces like the construction would make me want to go there less even if a new exciting retail idea might entice. I don't know. What, what do you think is going to happen down there in the future, Patty? Well, during the construction, it's going to be a mess. And we've heard from people who left Rhino, people who left Brighton Boulevard, some people who left Broadway, because construction made it so hard for their businesses. So you can see people aren't going to sign leases right now bigger businesses, even if they wanted to sign leases right now on the mall because of the construction. So the activation timing actually makes some sense if you're giving away free space because no one else wants it. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. Three months just is not very long to be a business either. I mean, to like see if things are going to work, if people are going to return and, and see, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't give a lot of lead time for a business to establish itself and let people know that they exist there. But I can yeah. see why it would be like Patty's saying, get them in there at least while it's a little bit rough to be a business while there's construct. I mean, that's a tale as old as Denver mm-hmm. when there's construction in front of my business. Nope. That's the funny part is no one can park there. You can't park on the 16th street mall. So maybe that won't really be the same problem. That and you where see. will the buses be to boot? So right. you go down there. I go downtown every day, pretty much. I was there last night again. And there are some places that are great. And there are some places that are just empty. Bree, you said something yesterday that I would like to hear Patty's opinion on. You you were making a point about parking and how the 16th Street Mall didn't really like seem to fit with the culture of the rest of the city. I mean, we're so car centric. So mm-hmm. like, you know, growing up here, I cruised a lot and we cruised downtown, but like we didn't cruise. Which What's interesting is the generation before me actually cruised 16th Street. That was the street to cruise before it was closed off to pedestrians. So I just like, it sucks to say that's a big issue downtown, but like if you can't find a spot to park or you don't want to, lots are like outrageously expensive. People would disagree with me. Of course, parking is a big income driver for a lot of landlords. But um, I just like, it's a place where I think I'm a car centric person. I'm not going to go down there to run errands or get lunch or meet a friend because parking is kind of a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Although there is also a ton of it. Like there's so many garages. I mean, I'm thinking that now too about like the pandemic too, and it's changing the downtowns and there is more parking and I don't want to make it about parking, but it's just like, that was my, my immediate thought is like, oh, I don't usually go down there because if I'm going to go shopping, for instance, I'm going to go somewhere where I can like easily park my car. Used to be for free at the Terry Creek Mall. You can't do that anymore. But mm. What do you think, Patty? Is is the 16th Street Mall, is that like typical of Denver's culture? Is that is is that representative of who we are or is that something apart? I would say it's pretty hard to actually say lump everyone together. I mean, that Mm. is certainly a place for people who don't have cars, people who are new and experiencing the city or who've never really had cars and have been on buses. So it's no horror for them to get on a light rail train or a free mall bus. I happen to drive by um, downtown all the time. So I'll sometimes say, if I find that parking place, I will run into this thing. And you can still find the parking place, but me paying, and now you're paying four dollars for two hours parking but i don't want to pay the five dollars to go into a lot just because that's <laughs> making some kind of weird commitment that i'm not prepared to do yeah. i also have this like fundamental problem with paying for parking downtown because again growing up here everything was a parking lot and it was like i'm not paying now you want me to pay now or the like, lot is when you're doing a big <laughs> night on the town you're yeah, going to the you're theater you're going hours. to food you're going to be yeah it used to be you would go at lunchtime, or you would go for a happy hour because you were working downtown. And that is the big challenge. You don't have the workers, you don't have the travelers. Yeah. Personally, I feel like that change, that like workers not coming back, I don't see that changing because I think people like remote work, like people in information jobs like remote work typically. And that's just not going to reverse. But that brings up, I think, this other aspect of this. It's like, kind of this ever-present thing here is the the housing crisis. 
there's not enough people living downtown to patronize businesses to support them to keep them around like the time that i spent the most time like hanging out downtown in my life was when i was living close enough to walk there my wife and i would walk we lived in the golden triangle when we first moved here and we used to walk up and down the 16th street mall in the evenings for fun just because it was convenient and we have not been back since we moved away and since we had to make it a drive. Although it's interesting because so much uh, housing is going in down there. It's just not cheap housing. Mm-hmm. You look at what's happening on Welton Street, huge apartment complexes, and they're not cheap. And so where are those people going? Are they walking down to the mall? Or are they just getting in their car and going somewhere else? Yeah, I think that affordability component is obviously an undercurrent of every conversation we have in Denver. But again, you've got empty floors of of offices how I mean, it's not super easy to or cheap to transform those into housing. But I mean, if people lived on the 16th Street Mall, they would go to the 16th Street Mall. I mean, that that would be an, a logical shift to me. Um, but again, that affordability component, it's just not what we're seeing. And I think about the sanitation workers and the bus drivers and the people that work at those stores. I've worked in retail. You couldn't work in retail now. Like you couldn't work at the pavilions, for instance, and live downtown. You probably live in Thornton. Like you can't afford it. So if they were able to do that, Mm -hmm. that might be the answer to me. I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of feelings about the 16th Street Mall, but... It's fun, a great place to people watch. That's the first thing people True. say. Absolutely. Great place to sit outside at an outdoor cafe. But it has never, since the Denver Dry closed, it has never, in Newsteaders, it has never been a great shopping place. I used to have an annual event with some friends where we would each take $20. We would start, I think, at the Wazi Supper Club. You had half an hour to run up and down the mall and find the worst present you could for $20 or just the whatever you could find. And you know, what do you have? You had just souvenir stores. Yeah. You, Woolworths. Uh, Woolworths. Woolworths was good. Um Walgreens, but there aren't a lot of places if you want to buy things. I found a lot of black velvet paintings. I once found um, an inner tube that was like the Denver Broncos for kids in a pool. I mean, but it, they were not high quality items. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. It's not a shopping desk. I think most of them are in my office at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, one more thing before we wrap up this topic. The Downtown Denver Partnership is trying this pop-up retail thing. They're trying it out. But downtown isn't the only neighborhood that relies on retail, of course. Patty, what, what do you think? Should other neighborhood groups be jumping on this? Well, it should have been expanded a long time ago, introduced in other parts of town. Bree was talking about Broadway. You look at Hope Tank, for example, which has to leave and is having a great big block party on Saturday as she leaves. And Erica Ryder has done a great job. She came up with something the city didn't know it needed, but it did, this gift store that started on Santa Fe that sells a lot of local things, but also benefits. Every sale benefits a local cause. It's a great amenity for the city. Why don't we have the city help some of these homegrown businesses pay their rents in areas that otherwise are going to be gentrified into really, really awful, chain apartment? I mean, look at parts of Tennyson Street. Yeah. You, if The 4400 block of Tennyson, how great would it have been if the city could at least subsidize a few local businesses there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like someone like Erica Ryder in a hope tank is like kind of your dream tenant to me. She's extremely involved in the day-to-day operations of what's happening on her block. 
Like she is working with other business owners. She works directly with the unhoused community. She's out there and now she's going to be gone. And I mean, it's kind of a, like their hope tank is turning into something else. They're going to reopen in some iteration. It's not going to be a retail storefront, Mm -hmm. but it became a gathering place. It was this thing that uh, Mutiny Information Cafe has actually done a really good job of doing as well. But to me, it's like it's a draw to South Broadway to go to a place like Hope Tank versus some parts of Tennyson are not so great anymore or the 16th Street Mall. Like I don't have a Hope Tank there to go to. So I don't really care that much. That's what Denver Partnership should talk to Erica Ryder and bring her in right now. I remember talking to Lori Lynx Murphy, who, when she isn't shopping for tools with you, <laughs> but during the DNC, she was one of the people we were talking about. Could we do these artist pop-ups? And it was a pretty strong proposal. And instead, what you had were just paintings in the windows, <sighs> so they didn't look unoccupied. But the city should take that, take an Erica Ryder who won't be in that spot, even though it's morphing, her business is morphing, it's not going to be there. So yeah. you're going to lose that piece of community. Absolutely. Well, that's a perfect segue. We're talking about Erica Ryder and Hope Tank. Um, we have been soliciting Denver love stories the last couple of weeks on the show because we're making a special Valentine's Day episode for you all on Monday. And I want to share one of those Denver love stories early. It's from a listener. Uh, I'm not going to say anything about it. Let's just play it and then go to a quick break and we'll be back with something else. CityCast, it's Shannon Hoffman from Capitol Hill. It's your number one fan. Um, I wanted to call to leave a Denver love story about a place that I love, which is Hope Tank, which is, of course, a place of love because there are hearts on the logo. And this is a place that gave me a job in 2017 when I moved to Denver and I had no job. And Erica Ryder... Um, let me write my own job description um, and helped me, allowed me to work in the store and work with her with all these amazing community partners. And now on the weekend before Valentine's Day, Hope Tank will be closing. Uh, well, the Broadway location will be closing. Hope Tank will still live on. Um, but I think, you know, as a newcomer to Denver still, um, this is a Denver love story that a place I love is closing. The location that I grew to love is closing, but the place itself will live on. The person, Erica Ryder, will live on. She will make Hope Tank into a new magical thing. And like many places in Denver, we'll carry all those memories and people in our heart which is really beautiful and special. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. All right, let's let's get into this next topic. Uh, 
it might just be my favorite thing to talk about in the whole world. Uh, but Bree, it was you who proposed we discuss the Olympics today because Colorado sent a ton of athletes to Beijing for the games this year. And one of them in particular seemed to catch your eye this week. Michaela Schifrin, the Colorado-born downhill skier. She's one of the big stars of Team USA. Um, she's one of the best skiers in general. I mean, she competes in a lot of different events. She's there's one the of downhill, the, there's the slum, the super G. She's one of the best skiers in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, and there's a lot of pressure on these athletes when they go into the Olympics in particular to be that best in the world. And she skied out of two of her races and basically kind of ended her Olympic run. Here she goes. The important first run in the slalom to set the tone. He, oh, oh you have got to be kidding me. Shocker right off the bat. Didn't even get into the course. But what struck me, which has been the national conversation, honestly, about this, is the moments that she took after that skiing out. Um, she sat on the side of the mountain for like 20 minutes. And I thought, my God, in, in our in, in our concept of time these days, 20 minutes is like a lifetime. And I thought, how much is coming down on this one individual, who she's disappointed or how she feels or, you know, just I felt so much for her. I know you're processing a lot, but as you look back on that run, what exactly happened? Um, I think I just slipped. Uh... Today I went out on the fifth gate. <sighs> so yeah. I was just blown away by how much we put into these athletes. I mean, we talk about Simone Biles, similar situation. Course, yeah. I mean, think about all the things we're going through with this pandemic, all of the experiences we've had, and then put that into somebody who's has to compete in front of the world and represent our country, I can't imagine what she's going through. And it just made me think a lot about, we talk a lot about fitness here in Colorado. We talk a lot about outdoor sports. It's why people move here. But do we talk about those components of like, when you get into the competitive side of it, the mental health part, it's heavy. Yeah. yeah. Patty, what do you make of this conversation around um, athletes and the Olympics in particular and, and mental health? Well, it's affecting everyone these days in every area. These are just the people with the biggest platform and the pressures on them. But you see it with teachers. You see it with healthcare workers. You see it with kids. It's never been more tricky than during the pandemic when people are so disengaged. Now, it's hard to say a, a, an Olympic athlete is disengaged, but still the pressures are so intense. On the other hand, how uplifting. I was watching Nathan Chen yesterday. Oh, yeah. I just kept watching that over and over, and you oh. think – when a sporting event and an accomplishment really works, how it's shared everywhere. And you see the sheer that. joy. You saw his it click for him where he was really in his groove and he was like, I am gonna crush this and he's an ice skater and mm -hmm. it was it was just a lovely performance. Mm -hmm. To Elton John. To, to, the, Elton, to so an Elton John medley. Rocket was man, great. Yeah. <laughs> Um, sounds like you two are both into it this time around. That's cool. Patty, you actually told me last week, I didn't dig into this, but when I asked you about the opening ceremonies, you said you were not going to watch in protest. Oh, I just, the whole ceremony part is what you play into with the jingoism, although I did look at some of the outfits. and um, But that's yeah. not what I want to see. I want to see the accomplishments and see 
what the human body's capable of. I mean, watching some um, Chloe last night, you know, on Wednesday night. Snowboarder. On the half pipe, you're just like, wow, when did this happen to skiing? Bananas. Mm -hmm. I know that's what my husband Greg was talking about. He's like, I mean, snowboarding just came into an Olympic sport in the last decade. And now it's like, what else would we be watching? Aspen Aspen allowed it 20 years ago for the first time. And it was a big controversy. I remember when the snowboarders came on. And of course, it's hard to forget that Colorado and Denver specifically was the first place to ever reject the Olympics. And you wonder what would have happened to this town if the Olympics had been here. First of all, I know I was like, you are really... First of all, the, the world Paul's would have learned that favorite. there wasn't snow on some of the mountains where they were planning <laughs> to have events. I mean, <laughs> it was crazy, the horn swoggling that was going on back then. Hmm. I was reading someone had this, like, someone did a deep dive on the on the, on the the Denver 76 bid, um, and they were they had this plan from, from the early 70s about uh, Evergreen, how Evergreen was going to be turned into this, like, sort of pseudo-Olympics, like, hub for a lot of the... I'm not sure exactly which events, but like I think about the town of Evergreen, that would have been just a completely different place. The Olympics would have taken over the culture. A friend of mine's father was a pilot for United, and he flew all the bigwigs over where they were planning on setting things, and oh, they're like cool. dive bombing in this United plane, <laughs> dive bombing some of these areas that had never seen a plane before. But it was... In some ways, it was the end of old Denver where the old boy network could say, we're going to do this. We're going to probably make a lot of money. Everybody else is going to spend a lot of money and lose money. And that was when the voters just said, no, Mm -hmm. we are not going to do this because we don't want to pay for it. And we don't want to screw up what we love about this state. Yeah. Yeah. And that same tension, of course, is still with us, that like growth versus change versus like what it is that makes us who we are it's all wrapped up in that olympic story it's just so so interesting so maybe we need some ski jumps on the mall i mean we already have the ice skating oh, rink but which you is remember nice there i've seen photos i don't think it was happening by the time i was a kid um the median f building and the hyperbolic paraboloid there was like a ski jump that came out of the median f have you ever seen those photos, I have Patty? never seen Oh, the ski I'll jump. send them to you. Okay. There was a ski jump that came out of the Made F building onto the 16th Street Mall. It was like a thing. Huh. Yeah. I don't and, the, know. and the original ice skating rink down oh. there. But, I mean, to activate the mall in some ways, you should have the mile-high mile. So a run from one end of the mall to the other, which used to be exactly a mile and got mm. extended with Union Station. Oh, Paul, let's, uh, you have got Olympics fever 24-7. You need to say something here. Well, I... Patty, you said you said a minute ago that the the part of the Olympics that you like is the the competition and the aspiration and like the athleticism, the push for excellence, um, and not so much the pageantry. I am the exact opposite. I feel like the competition part is like where all of the negativity comes from, people competing and all the tension that comes from that. My dream for the Olympics would be to take the pageantry and like the the ceremonies, the parade of nations, keep that but replace all of the events with non-competitive cooperative activities. Like if every nation on earth sent their best gardener (laughs) to go work together to make some beautiful- To make China a democracy? I don't know. That's another thing. I feel like people get that wrong with like the, everyone's talking about the Uyghurs now and the oppression of the Uyghurs in China. The Olympics didn't create that situation. The Olympics is a spotlight for these human rights abuses. It's a good thing that we're talking about it. We wouldn't be if it weren't for the Olympics. It's not Mm. the Olympics' fault. 
I mean, I don't think it's the Olympics' fault, obviously. This is an ongoing uh, marginalization uh, of a of a group within China that um, is, to me, it, it highlights it. But I also wonder to the average person, do they even know? Unless it was pointed out. But like you're saying, maybe that's the point of the Olympics. Is they That was a big co- conversation point with the opening ceremonies was mm-hmm. that they had um, uh, someone from the Uyghur community pass the torch. And then that's when all the announcers were kind of like, yeah, how do we talk about How this? do we talk about it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. It just has me thinking about my general objection to the Olympics being here. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we were talking before we started recording, bringing it back to Denver. You were saying we shouldn't have it here until we have this homelessness crisis figured out. But That's my biggest concern is what would the impacts be on communities that uh, are generally seen as not want to be this is something Denver doesn't want the world to see, which has been a big conversation around the Olympics in other places is where they spend that money to sort of sanitize the city or make it look a certain way. And that is my biggest concern is like, until we get our housing situation under control and we get people housed and we get this market back on track in some semblance of a way that's like affordable, I don't, I worry something like the Olympics is only going to exacerbate a crisis that we already have, which I think, Patty, you could probably talk to the DNC aspect of that, but something sort of similar happened with the city during the DNC. Hmm. Well, you didn't see a lot of homeless during the DNC, that's for sure. But the other problem on top of it is how do you make money on the Olympics? How does a community actually make some money? And the, the economics of it are so tricky that Aside from the people you don't want them to see or the the sorry sides of the city, who's going to pay for it? That was the big argument about the 76 Olympics, and it's only gotten worse since then. Yeah. Well, I've got I've got Robert Cohen's voice in my head. He was the big Olympics booster uh, who tried to get another host bid going a few years ago here. I, I interviewed him last summer around the Tokyo Games. And uh, when I asked him about that, he said that Private funding is the way to go right now for any reasonable host bid. You know, I believe Denver and our mountains and our mountain communities lays out better for a Winter Olympics than almost any city in the world. Just the natural creation of the 16th Street Mall to be a pedestrian mall where the world can come together and gather. If you think about Vancouver, they had to create that out of a street that they closed Um, for 17 days and you know everybody remembers the image of the whole world gathering on you know on that particular street and and celebrating for for 17 days we we have one naturally it's who we are we have a 16th street mall and you could put live venue sites on either end one at civic center park where people could come watch Um, you know in london they had to build a park to create that we already have that naturally in in who we are did you have more to say about the Olympics? I, I, ball? Do, I don't. I could I get don't back into the outfits because I was. Yeah, I did <laughs> watch a little give us bit. Your no, because <laughs> I have my favorites. Um, I kind of liked Finland because they were so gray. Finland was sharp. <laughs> I'm biased, but I thought the Canadians were the best. The scarves, the weird like square blocky scarves. But the Canadian, it looked like they had pillows from their flight around yeah, their neck. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's uh... <laughs> avant-garde. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a perfectly good place to wrap up for the day. Uh, thank you all for joining me, Bree. This was fun. Patty, as usual, this is the best. Thanks. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks, Paul.
That's all for the week here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were Lizzie Goldsmith, Xander McMahon, and me, Paul Caroli. Bree Davies is our regular host. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Our music is by Los Mocochetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you want to chat about the 16th Street Mall or the Olympics, we're on Twitter, at CityCast Denver. Or you can email us at denver at citycast.fm. Or tell a friend about the show and tell them your Denver Olympics opinions. Maybe convince them it's finally time for Denver to host a Winter Games. Just don't tell Bree that I suggested it. And finally, this is the last call for Denver Love Stories. If you've got one you'd like to share, email us or leave us a voicemail at 720-500-5418. Have a great weekend, everyone. Denver offers the magic of the West. It's adventure, tradition, and culture. But more than that, Denver wants to share its mountains, its competitive experience, and its facilities with all the world. Most of all, the people of Denver want to share a truly enriching experience at the 12th Winter Games. We hope we'll see you in 76.